You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our text today is from Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so when Michelle and I were teenagers, she got me this very sentimental uh, gift for our three-month anniversary. I mean, that, like, three months is a big time when you're a teenager. And she's so embarrassed right now. Um, what it was was three clipped, long-stem red roses. Yeah, I know. She hates me, she says. And... It had a little card on it, and it said, the day that the last rose dies will be the day I stop loving you. I thought, what the heck? That's weird. One of them was fake. It wasn't, how romantic is that? (laughs) Never-ending love. Love without bounds. My love, my love, my endless love like that's what we sing about it's what we dream of it's what we promise to people after three months of dating it's what we were created for it's what our hearts long for most and the truth is that we will be let down and we will be disappointed and we will even eventually be hurt by anything less but the good news is that our hearts infinite capacity to desire love is met and exceeded by Jesus' infinite capacity to give love. In fact, he is able, as we're told here, to do far more abundantly than anything we could ever ask, think, desire, or dream of, including loving us. So as it's been mentioned, today we begin the season of Advent. This is a time of anticipation and reflection. We start by looking forward and expectation of the day that Christ returns and and the renewal of all things. And then we spend the second half of Advent looking back to the first coming, Jesus's birth, the incarnation. But in this season, it is easy to think that Jesus was back then in history and Jesus will be up there, you know, ahead of time in heaven. But what about the time being? What about the here and now? He was, he is to come, but what about now? And this is the the question that the prayer uh, here in Ephesians 3 uniquely answers. How near is the once and future coming King Jesus Christ? Very near. 
In fact, we're told here that through faith, Christ dwells within our hearts. Through faith, Christ, and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he is filling us with all of the fullness of God. And as John Owen put it, we are never nearer to Christ than when we find ourselves lost in a holy amazement of his unspeakable love. That is my goal this Advent, is to help lead you to get lost. Lost in his love. See, Paul's prayer here is that we would be strengthened by the Spirit to comprehend. But this is not about wrapping our minds around God as if we are capable of fathoming all that God is, as if we are capable of grasping all that God is. No, his prayer here is that the eyes of our hearts would be opened to his vastness. Not that we would be able to grasp God, but that we would be gripped by God himself and gripped by the endless love of Jesus Christ that is wider than we could fathom. It stretches further than even time can measure. It's higher than the highest heavens above and deeper than the grave below. And today we will begin by looking at that first dimension listed here in Ephesians 3, the breath of Christ's love or the whiff of Christ's love. And we'll begin by asking this question. It's a very simple question. How wide is the love of Christ? How wide is the love of Christ? And if you're taking notes, we'll begin here. As far as creation stretches. As far as creation stretches. Even as I say that statement, I can't help but imagine that scene from The Lion King where Mufasa brings you know, his son out and he's describing the breath of his kingdom and he essentially says, everything that the light touches is our kingdom. As far as the eye can see is our kingdom. Or as a, a theologian from the past named Abraham Kuyper used to describe Jesus' kingdom, every square inch of existence, every square inch of creation finds itself under the loving reign of King Jesus Christ. Now, there are a lot of things that we do not know about the vast universe that we occupy. For every discovery in nature that we discover, and by we, I don't mean we, but the people that do these sort of discoveries, you know. For every discovery in nature here on earth, there are billions of discoveries yet to be made beyond this earth. Scientists have only begun to scratch the surface on understanding the vastness of the universe. It is so out of reach. It is so beyond our ability to observe. It is so beyond our ability to comprehend. In fact, it is estimated that the universe is constantly expanding at a rate, quote, of 46 miles per second per megaparsec. I, what that means, I have no idea. But to put it in the layman's terms is this. The universe is expanding faster than the speed of light. Faster than we would even be able to observe it. So we tend to think of God's creation being in set space within these set limits of what we can see. But God's creation is boundless. And as God's creation is boundless, so is God's care and concern for his creation. In fact, the word that the Bible used to, uses to describe this is abounding. Abounding. It's what we see in Psalm 145. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and what? 
abounding in steadfast love. And the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over, listen to this, over all that he has made. Over everything that God has made. So as an artist puts his heart or her heart into what they make and create blood, sweat, and tears, so God, the maker of heaven and earth, has put his heart into what he has created. Literally blood, sweat, and tears into what he has made. This has been displayed to us in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. But what the Bible shows us is that this abounding love is not just It's not less than this, but it's not just directed towards humanity and people. God loves all that he has made. It stretches to the furthest corners of creation from giant supernovas down to the most microscopic creature that we can't see. I love the way that G.K. Chesterton describes it. He said, it's possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. This is the loving care that we then can rest our hopes for the future on. That God because God loves all that he's made, because the wide love of Jesus Christ stretches out to the furthest reaches of creation, we then can be sure that his promise to bring life, his promise to one day bring renewal, his promise to usher in goodness into this world stretches out over all that he's made as well, which I believe is is actually a very timely message for us, especially in our age of like fear and angst and doom and gloom. Pew Research uh, surveyed nearly 20,000 people across 17 countries. And they found that three quarters of people, quote, worry that climate change will one day create suffering in their own lives. Over 75% of people. I also read research that found that 50% of respondents experience ongoing anxiety and distress related to the future state of this world. 50% of us have a pit in our stomach wondering what is coming next. As you scroll through the movies on your streaming network, wherever you stream movies, you will discover today story after story after story about some sort of strange apocalyptic future of the world. They used to make stories and movies that scared us with like good old fashioned things like monsters and aliens and demons and once in a while like possessed people. That was creepy. Now what did they scare us with? Very realistic possibilities like viruses, mutations, famines, floods, natural disasters. That's the scary stuff for our generation. But as Christians, we hold two very important things in tension. In one hand, we hold concern and care for creation. Just like our first parents, Adam and Eve, we today have been commissioned by God to cultivate the world well. We've been called by God to be good keepers of the ground and of the air and of the water and of the world to leave this place better than we found it. And we're to honor God in the way that we care for all that he's made. That's what we hold in one hand intention. But in the other hand, we also hold tight to hope. 
We stay informed. We stay involved. We get EV and solar or whatever the heck that we need to do. But we cling to hope. We cling to hope. A hope that rests in the future that is short. A hope that looks beyond this current moment and all the very real concerns that we have about climate and war and drought and famine and virus. And we see Jesus seated on the throne, declaring over all of time and history in Revelation 21, behold, I am making all things new. I make all things new. How wide is Christ's love? It's as far as creation stretches and further still and beyond. Secondly, it's as far as the curse is found. As far as the curse is found. That's actually a a phrase that comes from an old Christmas hymn, but sadly, we actually take that verse out when we sing it, and that's probably why this next line is not going to sound very familiar. But it goes like this, and it's joy to the world, by the way, and it goes like this. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. I can't help but hear like a pirate's voice right now, sorry. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. You heard it too, didn't you? Yeah. So who are we? Why are we here? Um, What has gone wrong? These are questions that people have been asking for thousands of years. And it's interestingly enough, the questions that the Bible answers from the first few pages. Who are we? We are God's image bearers. We are God's beloved creatures. Why are we here? Well, we were created to partner with God. To Edenize the world. To take the goodness of the garden and to cultivate it and to spread it to the furthest corners of creation. That's why we're here. But that's not happening. So what's gone wrong? And Genesis 3 describes to us what has gone wrong in describing to us what is known as the fall. We know the story that when Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God, decay entered into the garden. And the curse of sin came upon all of humanity and all of creation. In fact, God says to Adam in Genesis 3, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. So like a disease, like an aggressive virus that spreads, the curse has has touched everything and everyone. The curse has brought death. The curse has brought strife. It's brought sickness. It's brought fear. It's brought brokenness. It's brought barrenness. It's brought pain. And no one escapes. And no one is immune. Even the most remote portions of the globe are touched by this. There's a European uh, poet who after a catastrophic a string of, of killings, I believe it was in France at the time, uh, she wrote this poem, and she, it went like this. Later that night, I held an atlas in my lap, ran my fingers across the whole world, and whispered, 
where does it hurt? And it answered, everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. See, what Advent is doing for us every year is it's inviting us to ask that important question, where does it hurt? And God's people, we as God's people, must honestly answer that question everywhere. It hurts everywhere. There's a song that we're gonna sing here in in just a minute that actually asks a bunch of questions. And one of the questions that it asks is, do you feel the world is broken? And then we say, we do, you know. Do you feel the world is broken? Notice how it does not say, do you think the world is broken? Or do you know the world is broken? Or even do you believe the world is broken? But do you feel it? Do you feel it in your bones? Do you feel it in your body? Where do you feel it? Is it in your body? Is it in your mind? Is it in your home? Is it in your relationships? Is it in your community or in your workplace? Is it on a global scale? Where does it hurt? And God's people must honestly answer everywhere. I feel it everywhere. But the scope of pain that reaches to everywhere, that the reach of the curse cannot outpace and cannot outrun God's grace and God's healing. In fact, Romans 5 tells us this amazing statement that where sin increased, where sin spread, grace abounded all the more. The reach of the curse is very wide, but the reach of Christ's love is wider. And his love is a healing and transforming love where no person or no situation or no pain, nothing is too far gone for the breath of Jesus's love. So here's a question. Why was Jesus crucified with a crown of thorns? Why the crown of thorns? Well, I believe that it was extremely symbolic because think about this. The curse, thorns and thistles. The cross, crown of thorns. What's happening? Our curse becomes his crown. Jesus is bearing the curse. There's that old phrase, heavy is the head that wears the crown. And especially for the king who bears the weight of the curse for us. The gospel tells us that through dying and rising again, Jesus absorbed, he took on the curse for us and then in exchange, he gave to us his grace and his righteousness and his life. And now for the one who trusts in Jesus, we await his return where he'll right every wrong again, where he will reverse all of the effects of the curse. Everything will be wiped clean. Everything will be renewed. Even down to your next tear, it will be wiped away. And so what this means for us is a few amazing things. First, it means that his forgiveness is wider than our sin. Our our sin is far-reaching. Our sin has a ripple effect. I now am very aware of this as a parent. I'm now very aware of this as a pastor and someone involved in people's life. We have the ability to negatively impact a lot of people in just one lifetime. And we have the ability to leave Bodies 
in the wake of our selfishness. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus' forgiveness goes further and it goes faster. Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions for us. For those who repent of their sin, for those who trust in the salvation of Jesus Christ, he applies this wide love to us by taking our sins far, 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 far from us. It also means that his saving reach is wider than our borders and the boundaries that divide us. Now, the ancient Christians had an interesting perspective on these dimensions of Christ's love that Paul mentions here in Ephesians chapter 3, the, the breadth, length, height, and depth. They believed that they were specifically intended to illustrate the four points of the cross, the four dimensions of the cross. And what the early writers believed was that the cross beams, the, the horizontal portion of the cross, point out on purpose. And it reminds us that Christ's arms are stretched out wide to the world. Stretched out wide to invite and welcome people from every race and every culture and every class and every corner of the world. Arms wide enough to hold all of his diverse children together as one. Arms wide enough to welcome those whom have been rejected. Arms wide enough to reach to the furthest corners of the world where God intends for the gospel to transform lives. God's arms are stretched wide. Christ's love is stretched wide. It also means that his restoring power is wider than all of the devastating effects of the curse in this world. Let me say it this way. It reaches to every pressure point and every point of pain in our lives, the places of hurt and brokenness and pain. In 1967, a very young woman named Johnny experienced a tragic diving accident which, result, accident which resulted in her becoming a quadriplegic. And she was, as you can imagine, struggling to think about now her future as like, I think I believe, as she was 17 at the time, as a quadriplegic for the rest of her life. And in that moment of disorientation and pain and fear of the future, she met Jesus and she experienced the profound hope of the gospel. And now, 55 years later, while she still remains paralyzed, she has made it her life goal to make sure that others discover that hope that's found in Jesus Christ as well. And she writes this, I can still hardly believe it. I, with shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and no feeling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body, bright, light, and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope that this gives to someone spinal cord injured like me, or someone who has cerebral palsy or brain injured or who has MS? Imagine the hope this gives someone who is manic depressive. No other religion or philosophy promises new bodies, new hearts, and new minds. Only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. How wide is Christ's love? It reaches to the furthest areas of sin, brokenness, 
and division as far as the curse is found and further still. And finally, how wide is the love of Christ? As far as we can wander. As far as we can wander. When you imagine the breadth or the width of Jesus Christ's love, what comes to mind? Again, this is not just a theoretical idea. This is not a concept to sort of like store in our brains. God is expanding our imagination and God desires for us to be able to grow in our imagination and envisioning what this width looks like. And in fact, I would go as far as to say this. Jesus, when you think of his love, he intends for at least three pictures to come into your mind. And we know that based on three distinct parables that he tells in Luke 15. So that we can envision the breath of Christ's love and what it looks like. The parable of a lost sheep, the parable, parable of a lost coin, and the parable of a lost son. And he begins in Luke 15 by telling the parable of a shepherd. And what we're told in this parable is that the shepherd, who we are to see as Jesus leaves the 99 sheep in the open country and then he goes after the lost sheep until he finds them. And once he finds this lost sheep, he places them on his shoulders and he rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together all of his friends and all of his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me, celebrate, I have found my sheep that was lost. Vision number two. He tells the parable of a woman. And it's actually a very common story. This woman loses a coin. And in response, it says that she lights up a lamp and she sweeps the house and she seeks diligently until she can find it. She goes full, honey, I shrunk the kid for this coin, right? Like just down in the carpet. Like, where is this? Until she finds that coin. And then he finally tells the parable of a father. This father has two sons. And despite the fact that his younger son has disgraced him and abandoned him, it says that while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And when he welcomed him back into his home, which the son was not expecting, he throws this giant celebration to celebrate his return. And the story goes on that then when the eldest son finds out and he hears a celebration, he throws a fit and he won't come in to celebrate. And so what does the father do? He goes out to him as well to beckon him and to urge him to come back in as well. And what he tells the older son is this, that all that is mine is yours. It's always been yours. My love is wide enough for the both of you. When we hear the word lost, we think rejected. When we hear the word lost, we think outcast. We think backslidden. We think outsider. But Luke 15 shows us that when Jesus uses the word lost, it's synonymous with pursued. When Jesus says lost, he means profoundly loved. How wide is the love of Jesus Christ? wider than we could ever wander. So here's what I want to do in conclusion. I want to apply some of these 
amazing points about the love of Jesus Christ by asking this question, how do we respond? This is incomprehensible love. It's vast. We are lost in his love. And so it seems at times abstract. It seems like we just sort of disoriented, like, wow, that's big and amazing. But what does that mean for our lives? At least two things. It means first that we need to open wide our lives to Jesus. There's an amazing Psalm, Psalm 81, that says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, who reminds them of their deliverance. I am the God who has delivered you from slavery. Now here's what I want you to do. Here's how you respond. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. We would imagine a million different things to follow that statement. I am the, the Lord your God who delivered you out of slavery, so now you work for me. Now you do this for me. Now you do that for me. God says, here's what I want you to do. Open wide. And let me fill it. Advent does not ask you to decrease your desires. Advent is not asking you to manage your expectations. This is a season about remaining open to God's abundance. Remaining open to experience more of him and more of his goodness so that we are so filled with the goodness and the love of Jesus Christ that we have no room for anything less. Remember that your capacity to crave love is never going to exceed Christ's ability to give it. The more that you desire the more that Christ will fill you. I was at the dentist recently, and one of the technicians or the dental assistants kept saying, open wider, open wider. And I'd be like, wider? I'm like, you're gonna break my jaw. <laughs> like, what are, we, what are we doing here? And I, I can't, kid you not, like, uh, kid you not, like no less than 10 times, wider, wider. I'm like, I get it, I get it. I'm like, gonna break my jaw here. Jesus invites us. To strain, there's a reason I'm sharing this. Hold on. <laughs> My life is so exciting, isn't it? <laughs> Jesus invites us to strain. And sometimes in a painful way, I, I won't lie to you, and sometimes a painful way, to strain to open wider, 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 so that we can take in the fullness of his grace through faith. I think about a, a, another line from a Christmas hymn that says, prepare him room. Prepare him room. What does that mean? It means stay open to his abundance and don't settle for anything less. And secondly, how do we respond? We need to open wide our doors to others. If the love of Christ is this wide, if what I've shared is true, then it's got to change the way that we operate and function as a church. It's got to shape our mission. It's got to shape our vision. It's got to shape what we're thinking and what we're desiring every single time we gather as the church. With this thought constantly in our mind, there is always room for more. Look around right now. There's room for more. 
There is room for more. Christ's love will never be stretched too thin. Like the father tells the oldest son, everything that is mine is yours. My love is wide enough for all of you. And so our willingness to invite others to come and to belong demonstrates how wide we really believe Christ's love is. And I want to urge you this Christmas season to take advantage of the Christmas season where people are statistically most open to an invitation. Of any time throughout the year, people are most open to hearing about Jesus, most open to coming and joining your rhythms, most open to coming and celebrating the good news of Jesus Christ that has taken on flesh to dwell among us. Let's take advantage of this opportunity. Amen? There's a call to worship from a church back east uh, that they read every single week as they gather, and it puts this vision beautifully into words. And I want to read it, and then we'll conclude. It goes like this. To all who are weary and in need of rest, to all who mourn, and long for comfort. To all who feel lost and worthless and wonder if God even cares. To all who fall and desire victory. To all who sin and need a savior. To all who hunger and thirst for righteousness and to whoever else that will come. This church opens wide her doors and offers welcome in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners, the lover of his enemies, the defender of the weak, and the justifier of those who have no excuses left. This church opens wide her doors. Let them come. Let them come. Let them come. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you.